0: Hello and welcome to the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Today we're going to talk about moving fast, breaking shit, and burning out with our guests Tracy Lovejoy and Shannon Lucas. Tracy is an anthropologist and the research engine for Catalyst Constellations. She spent 12 years at Microsoft, leading teams of changemakers, and co-founded the Ethnographic Praxis in Industry conference. Tracy thrives when she can use her intuition and relentless optimism to coach catalysts and amplify their change-making power. She joins us today from Seattle, Washington. Shannon Lucas has been an executive vice president at Ericsson, a senior innovation architect at Cisco, and a director of innovation at Vodafone. A practitioner and global thought leader on entrepreneurship, she founded the Global Entrepreneur Salon and is passionate about transforming corporations into sustainable change engines. She is a little bit more nomadic and joins us today from Connecticut. Tracy and Shannon, welcome to the Career Builders podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having us, Mike and Lisa.
2: We're really excited you're here.
0: Very honored. Very, very honored.
2: Yeah. So you two have written a book and we're going to get into this in a lot more detail in just a minute and I can't wait to hear more, but how did you two connect and what drove you to write this book? we connected
3: when i actually was at vodafone building out the innovation program um and i had been thinking a lot about how to activate people to create an innovation champion network around the world to create culture change and bring innovation practices throughout the business um and it's hard work And I was noticing these patterns of, um, we started with these eight positive troublemakers who were really leaning in, but as we grew the program and we provided more and more support, it was always like the same 10% basically of the community, regardless of how large it got, it was always around 10% of people who were sort of the visionary doers. And it was hard work, so I was looking for support across um, a couple of different you know, mechanisms. I had created an external group called the Global Entrepreneur Salon. So handpicked people that I had found sort of around the world that were doing similar work to me. And I had hired Tracy as a coach. And as I was sitting there sort of grappling and struggling with, you know, what, is, what is it about these 10% both in the handpicked Global Entrepreneur Salon and within Vodafone that makes them you know, sort of the same? Tracy was trying to understand and applying her ethnographic and research skills to her clientele as a coach to, see, to understand there's these certain people that I just love working with and what are the common denominators of them and what do I call them? And so she came up with sort of those defining traits and the name Catalyst. And I was one of her last clients that she interviewed. Um, And we just, you can see where the mashup would happen there, right? Um, But also at the same time, like at the end of the interview and Tracy actually remembers, I didn't remember bringing it up at the beginning but at the end of the interview, I said, you know I have this global entrepreneur salon, and a high percentage of us are, are suffering from burnout. So I've sort of been mulling over, you know, renting a couple houses on the coast of Northern California, getting these people together, like some hot tubs, some good food, some good wine, and just sort of having an unconference to recharge. And I said, "Do you want to do that, that with me?" And in typical Catalyst style, Tracy leaned in and said, "Yes." Yeah. So that's the sort of beginning of the of the company, and it was sort of our passion project on the side for a couple of years. But even early on, we sort of drank our own Kool Aid in terms of doing the visioning process that we, you know, expect and you know encourage Catalyst to do. And we had this vision that we were going to come together and sort of support Catalyst from a 365 perspective. And the book was one part of that.
2: That is so cool, and there's so many synchronicities in that story that it it just makes so much sense that this is happening. Like you said, hundred percent.
0: I love how your um, your way of really coming together and thinking around hot tubs and wine that that to me is something I can really could really attach myself to. So my hat goes off to you guys.
1: Every strategy offsite, of course, but in the pre-COVID world, as we go and get um, nails and toes done. And we have photographs each time and some literally some of our best visions and ideas happen while we're sitting and doing that kind of pampering. But it's so fun to do it together with. friends. Cool. So smart.
0: Love it. Mm-hmm. So your book itself is called Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out, The Catalyst Guide to Working Well. There were a couple of things that jumped out to me right off the bat when I looked at that. Um, the first one being what is a catalyst?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. And, you know, we're kind of claiming this word in a way that it hasn't defined before. So an important one to have up front. From chemistry, of course, a catalyst is an agent that quickly causes change or action. And so we leverage that as we think about that, as we talk about people. And so when we talk about the people, it are it is the change makers among us who see possibilities to make the world around them better. And they have this unstoppable drive to actually make some of those ideas so. And there are different ways that we tend to get labeled within the organizational context, right? We can hear things like you're a disruptor, you're a troublemaker, you're a corporate rebel. And so even on the cover of our book with that red uh, lightning, right? That's what we're pulling on is that we leave a tag and we do it in a way that, you know, kind of creates this positive change.
0: That's very cool. I'm, uh, yeah, it jumped out right away that there's a certain energy to this. There's definitely something that kind of pulled me in um, i I'm just excited to continue to learn more about this.
2: now i I noticed in your book summary that you talk about the difference between a catalyst and a typical change maker. What is the main difference?
1: Yeah, and the word typical even as I hear it, I think, oh gosh, did we have it in there? That sounds that sounds like we were demeaning and we certainly didn't mean that at all when we think of, of we think of catalyst as a subset of change makers that's that's you know kind of our frame is that when we first considered writing the book we went out and did due diligence and we looked at what are some of the other books out there in this space and what we saw is that there's a lot of books that are targeted at this you know title being a change maker a change agent and they're mostly a, a how to how to become a change agent in a particular space. And so we realized that those terms have been claimed as the um, anyone can do it. And so in our research, when we talk about catalysts, we're talking about people who feel that this is a natural way of being And so we wanted to make sure we were distinguishing that we weren't putting something out there as like learn how to be this way. We're talking to the people who are this way and we wanna help those innate change makers, those catalysts be able to both cope with the difficulties of this reality because it's not all sunshine and, and rainbows, right? And helping them be more successful at creating change in the process. So yeah, we have no problem you know, with the notion of change agent and change maker, just a way to help say like, yeah, this is probably how you've been for a very long time, if not always.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. And there was obviously a gap that you saw in the market of for books in this space. And so that makes sense that you would be narrowing in and helping those people who are already there.
1: That's exactly right. And in, in the innovation literature more broadly, there's all kinds of books on how-to Uh, do innovation or what are the best practices but the people behind the innovation it's really more in the biography category right you can see you know uh, um, Steve Jobs biography uh, um, uh, Nelson Mandela right and Oprah but what about those of us that are this way that aren't necessarily aspiring to be at that that level but we're just out there doing it every day and what is it that we need and what are the supports that are going to help us continue to be that way
3: Sort of our own personal operating manual for the catalyst, you know, and that's what we've been missing. Yeah,
2: sounds incredibly helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. Another thing that jumped out to me when I was going through a bit of your book was the discussion around burnout and how you view it as something that's sort of inevitable and there's a way of handling it. Can you kind of dig in on that and let us know a little more about what's your vision of burnout and how you'd approach it?
3: Yeah, I think the, the first point to clarify around the title is we are describing in the title an innate way of operating, that we move fast, that we break shit, and that we burn out. And the second part of the title is this is a little bit of the antidote to make sure that you're doing that effective, you know, that you're you're actually being a more effective catalyst. So moving a little bit slower, breaking shit with a little bit more intentionality and lessening the burnout, which is the Catalyst Guide to Working Well part. You heard from our sort of origin story that the thing that catalyzed us coming together to serve this population was first and foremost burnout. There's sort of three main things that catalysts sort of the broad challenges that catalysts suffer from. One is lack of clarity, because we can have so many ideas, but the other two are really sort of the personal experience, which is isolation because we can sort of be called the troublemaker and the disruptor, not necessarily in a positive way, although we end up co-opting that. And then from all of that burnout can can arise. And so because it's one of sort of the sort of definitional things about being a catalyst, we had to unpack like, how do we get there? Tracy's data was really clear that when catalysts are not conscious about their process and bringing in that intentionality, that is really what the book is advocating for. Is like being bringing your more, most intentional self to your work. Uh, we have this energy curve that we call the catalyst journey. And we start off by this like wicked mania when we're first solving a problem. We're like, oh, we're so excited to like connect all the dots and have all the conversations and get to that vision as quickly as possible about how that thing could be better. And as we're doing that, we just get a ton of energy from that experience. What often happens as we're doing that, though, is that we start to, because we're getting so so much energy, we can let go some of our, what we would call rejuvenation practices along the way. So you're like, just a couple more hours at work, just a couple more phone calls, just reading a couple more books. I don't need to go to the gym today because I'm feeling great. But over time, as we go through the process, our energy starts to decline. So, once you've got the vision and you're trying to sort of orchestrate either your organization or your stakeholders to actually execute on that vision, we start to lose energy. Like, this is not a strong suit for most catalysts, like, you know, starting to actually implement the processes and get into the details and the weeds. We'd rather have someone lean in and take it over and run with it. And so, we're starting to get less energy. But even at that point, we still have energy because we so deeply need to see the thing existing in the worlds so that we can see the direct connection. Particularly for catalysts in large organizations though, the resistance is inevitable from the organization. And so we become really, either our idea or vision uh, becomes attacked or we become the lightning rod for that organizational resistance. And that's when we really start to lose our energy. And that energy drop-off can actually, depending on how intense the resistance and that sort of lightning rod effect is, can lead to trauma, not in all cases, but it's pretty common amongst the population. And sort of the inevitable output of all of that is burnout that is if we're leading sort of the unintentional version of that journey, right? And so as Tracy was interviewing people, she found these couple exceptional catalysts who were like, yeah, but I don't really hit the burnout in the same way that you're talking about it. So we had to unpack, well, what is it about those exceptional catalysts? It's not that they don't experience burnout at all, but it's it's much more minimized and sort of isolated. And partly, and this is why we advocate it for so deeply, it's having the consistent rejuvenation routine, whatever that means for you. Our data also shows that it's probably not one thing, like at different points in the cycle, whether it's the day, the month, the year, uh, you might need yoga every day, but wine with your friends once a month. So it's just also paying attention to where your energy, energy level is at any given point, and then making sure that you are committing to and blocking out time on your calendar for the appropriate activities that give you the appropriate amount of energy that you need to sustain yourself.
0: Cool. You touched on something there that kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey's habit number seven, sharpen the saw, the act of really consciously rejuvenating yourself so that you can maintain your productive your productive capacity is what he called it. Is that something that kind of came into your thinking, just sort of off the cuff as as you guys wrote this book?
3: It's so funny, we were just talking about this book in the last hour. Tracy, do you want to respond to that? It's it's it
1: wasn't with intentionality that we were connecting to that book, uh, but it's it's now the second interview that we've gotten to be on that someone makes that connection. And so total transparency. The reason we were talking about it is like that should be our book of the we do a book club every month in our community. So we're doing that in, in December because we were like, what a beautiful connection point that one yeah. of these you know books that's iconic. And I feel like that's the habit that really gets the least airplay when you think Mm -hmm. about, you know, the the like it's just all the things that we talk about in there, that one feels like gets diminished. Maybe that's just my sense. I don't know how it is for you. Uh, But when it was first pointed out
3: to us, we were like, oh my gosh, there it is. Yep, absolutely. So great connection. Thanks. I think there's an important point here that I want to bring into the conversation, which is if we talk about rejuvenation only in the context of the self-sustaining energy for the catalysts, the majority of catalysts won't lean in because they'll see it as selfish and potentially taking away from their work. And so the argument we make throughout the book and through all of our contact and conversations with catalysts is actually a burnt out catalyst creates no change at all. So if you reframe it in terms of, and, and I, you know, if you frame it in terms of actually it's in service of you making the change that you want to see in the world. So even if you won't do it for yourself, do it for that thing that you want to create in the world. And that's when we start to see the catalysts change their behaviors. We
2: wish that they would all do it for themselves, (laughs) but we
3: understand.
2: We understand. Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot of clients that I work with too are so focused on the goal that they're going towards and self-care, which is such a buzzword these days, just kind of like, oh, self-care. Yeah, I'll get to that. But when it comes down to it, you're absolutely right. that you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not getting anywhere.
1: It's so well said.
2: We think about the time horizons, like we just had a book
3: launch. So Tracy and I, I don't think we can look in the mirror and honestly say that we were living that practice in its best possible way for the few months leading up to that. But what I did do is right after the book launch, I had four day weekends that I could spend with my mom. And I knew that I was going to recommit to a 30 day yoga sprint. And it was like, okay, there's a boxed time that I'm making these conscious choices to get to a thing. And then, you know, the next month, to the end of the year is going to be a different habit. And so I think it's also, there's this pressure for us to feel like we have to do it the same way all the time. And that's not what we're saying. It's just bringing consciousness to the choices that you're making to sustain both yourself and your work.
2: It kind of also reminds me too, I mean, I'm an introvert. And so for me, that means it it doesn't mean I don't like people. I love interacting with people, but I know that when I'm done interacting, I need time to rejuvenate. And so it sounds kind of like a similar scenario where you're not always going to be rejuvenating in the right timeframe, but you're going to make sure that there is some kind of balance that works for you. And it was really interesting because when we first started doing the retreats,
3: the, um, the, the introverts in the room, a, were afraid that they were the only ones that was not true. It was about 50, 50 when we made them raise their hands. And while we know that actually connecting with other catalysts is one of the biggest forms of energy for most catalysts, like it is a, it is a lightning bolt to your energy because it's so frictionless and for all of the reasons. So they were getting energy out of being with the other catalysts. But what was also interesting was a lot of the extroverts didn't know how to bring quiet time and the quiet type of rejuvenation into their lives. So as we went through all of the modalities of rejuvenation, including connecting but also including mindfulness walks and, you know, sort of self time, um, both types of personalities got to lean in. And that's why we talk about having that energy tank and tracking what different types of activities you need to get the different types of energy and support along the way. Very really neat. cool.
2: So I want to talk about breaking shit, because that's not something that we typically or that most people typically aim to do at work. So tell us more about why this is an important part of the puzzle. So again, let's just go back to the whole
3: title because the whole title, starting with moving fast, breaking shit and burning out. So when catalysts aren't intentional, we will move so fast that we will leave people behind. They won't be able to understand the vision or where we're going. And we get frustrated. We come across as arrogant and self-righteous quite often. And so moving too fast, which is our sort of innate tendency is is unproductive. And that leads to us breaking shit without intentionality because we haven't made sure that everyone is on the journey with us. We haven't sort of brought our intentionality to where we're sort of pushing the boundaries internally or with our stakeholder group. And again, that leads to burnout. Of course, you know, as we were thinking about the name of the book, there is a company in Silicon Valley that talks about sort of you know moving fast and breaking shit as one of their sort of original Tenants. And we've seen that that as a sort of core philosophy doesn't work out really well in the end if you aren't doing it with some intentionality. And so for us, it's like, yeah, we want you to create the new thing, but you will be best served by bringing intentionality and a little bit of slowness actually to actually move faster in the end and be
2: more successful. That makes sense. Are there scenarios where breaking shit is helpful?
3: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, what, first of all, there's, there's sort of the cultural element to this. So it's like, I think of the, um, there's a lot of talk about being able to fail safely in organizations. So catalysts come one of the innate tendencies for us is that we come with an experimentation mindset. So we are drawn into careers where we have, you know, where there's things like design thinking or the scientific method or lean startup because it speaks to how we operate, which is moving from vision into action and into iteration and repeating things. So by definition, when you're doing that, if you are open to testing multiple hypotheses or, yeah, you know, problem sets, you're going to be breaking shit and failing along the way. And that, if you're doing that intentionally, you're collecting data for the iteration to make your vision even more refined and you'll go through the process and you'll actually get to a higher fidelity answer more quickly than what a lot of companies do, which is like they set up a monolithic strategy and they'll move forward on a two-year product execution and they will have gotten it wrong and it will be too late. And they actually will have broken stuff, but it takes them two years to find out that they just have a broken, you know, market product fit. Or, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of brokenness that happens in the system that we don't actually talk about. So this is about bringing that Let's let's break some shit. Let's test some shit along the way so that we can get to the higher fidelity answer more quickly. Um, and then I think there's the that's both the cultural sort of component and the technological component all in one. Really
2: cool.
0: Yeah, and I like this idea of the high fidelity answer. That's that to me would be a major take home. So you talk about the catalyst formula, right? As well as the the VUCA Prime framework. What are these and why are they so important to this whole picture of being a catalyst?
3: This is a super insightful question. Uh, and it's the first time that someone has made this 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 clear in, the, in a question back to us. So let's talk about what the catalyst formula is first. I sort of described it in the last answer. The catalyst formula is the innate way that we show up. And it is our ability to create a vision, move quickly into action, take the data from whatever steps of action we took, iterate our hypothesis or our vision, restate it and circle through that. Our hypothesis is, is that we are best served when that catalyst formula sits in a container of rejuvenation, bringing in things like empathy, both for the end users, but also for our internal stakeholders, for ourselves, et cetera. Um, VUCA prime. So VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. It's a term that came from the US military in the 1980s, as they were trying to contextualize the sort of new post-Cold War reality. Um, And if you, it was very insightful, because if you think about sort of like where the digital revolution was, it was very early days right then. But I don't think you could come up with a better term to describe what the digital revolution has meant to sort of change as we know it right now, the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Bob Johansen, who started the Institute for the Future came up with a response to VUCA, which is VUCA Prime that you were talking about, which is vision, understanding, clarity, and agility, which is basically saying, what do we need to look for in people or or, um, organizations in order to be able to respond to this new VUCA reality that we live in? just as a side note, a lot of us have been talking about this VUCA reality for a very long time, and not a lot of leaders have been listening, but I think this year has shown us that like it is undeniable that this is our new reality now, right? And so what's interesting is as we look at the research, even beyond VUCA Prime, about what some of those subtraits are that leaders, thought leaders, talking about what we need to uh, in our organizations and employees to respond to this new VUCA reality, it is almost a one to one correlation between the skill sets that they articulate that employees need and how catalysts self identify their superpowers. And so when you combine all of that back with sort of vision, action, iteration, there's a very strong alignment suggesting that organizations need to tap in identify tap in and support their catalysts in a way that they have never done before because these are the people who are literally born to help them through these new challenges.
0: That's really cool actually. Yeah, it sounds like catalysts are perfectly tuned for the world that we're in right now. I mean, 2020 is It's their year. Volatile. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, it is.
2: The year, the of, the year of the catalyst.
0: I love it. Cool.
2: All right. So one of the other things that um, I saw within the context of your book was about sustainably working well. And this term really jumped out to me. What does it mean and why is it important?
1: This ties directly to some of the discussion we were having earlier around that notion of self-care. Um, if, you're, if you're dedicated to making change in your being, um, having moments where you're so burned out uh, you're not doing anyone any good and you're certainly not making change. And this is what Shannon said earlier, that a burned out change maker is making no change at all. And so this can be a very painful reality for catalysts, right? because we, we charge so hard and then we're just flat. And because we see that catalysts are so purpose-driven, they can actually end up feeling disconnected from a way to fulfill their sense of purpose. So it's not just burnout, but it's almost this like existential moment of like, and I can't even do the thing that actually really, I feel like I'm here to do. And it's at the time we need it the most, right? That most energy giving thing. And we have no ability to do it anymore. So to us, this helps us reframe away from that term of self-care. And the thing that Lisa, you were saying that you you know, you can struggle with, with clients is that if you can think about it as sustainably working well, for the catalyst community, it means the ability to keep your energy stable enough so you can keep doing the catalytic work that you crave, that you feel born to do. And if you're not paying attention to that, right, it's not a self-care. It's not a nice to have. It's not a weekend spa getaway. It's about being able to show up and continually do this thing that drives you every day. And so what we talk about in the book and a, and a lot when we speak is this notion of seeing yourself in the vision. Because so many of us that are externally driven to achieve something, whether you're a high achiever, a catalyst, you know, someone else who does this, like, I need to get there on this goalpost. We're looking outside of ourselves instead of seeing ourselves as an actor and a participant in moving to that place. And so if we can help break the notion of self-care and selfishness and this like thing you tack on at the end of the day or the week or the month to like, uh uh-uh, every single day there's energy out and there's energy in, it's just pure science. And so if you see yourself in your vision and you you know, what are the relationships that are important to you that you need to make sure you're putting time and attention to, to sustain you and to feel like a fulfilled person, What are the activities that help your body feel at its peak? Right, what in terms of both exercise, sleep, or connecting with others, or uh, you know, if you're a maker making sure that that's all part of the vision and your vision isn't just a set of smart goals, if you will, about what I want to achieve at work or what I'm going to feel like is going to look great on my resume. It has to be the center of everything you do, because again, back to, you know, kind of the core question, if you're not working sustainably, you're not working. (laughs) So that's the heart of it, Lisa. I'm so curious, what was it about it that hit you?
2: Honestly, it thank you for that answer because i am already thinking of so many people that i want to send this episode to that's going to benefit from just that everything that we've talked about already but that especially of the guilt and feeling that that not being able to take care of themselves i mean it kind of makes me think of like when you plant something you're making sure that the environment around the seed is actually going to be sustainable but we don't do that for ourselves so this is a really really cool thing That's exactly right. I love that as a metaphor. We've never thought of that. That's fantastic. And so I think sustainably working well for me is we think of working smart. Like I've heard that before, but I haven't heard somebody say sustainably working smart. And that makes so much more sense to me. Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: It's a big mind shift, just totally zooming out and saying from like a 50,000 foot view if we're gonna do whatever we're doing, that's important to us for the long run. There has to be some really strategic, and I love your word, intentional sort of, um, not just thought but action towards making sure that we stay at the altitude and at the speed that we want to be going at, so that we can keep moving fast, breaking shit, and and burning out in a way that's sustainable.
1: Exactly right. You know, Shannon mentioned even in the writing of our book that we still hit moments of burnout mm-hmm. where we're in no way making a promise to anyone out there, you know, Catalyst or anyone else that we're stopping burnout from happening, but you're exactly zoning in on the right thing. It's the intentionality. And that's what Shannon spoke to of like, yeah, we worked hard because it required long days.
0: Hmm. It
1: required more energy than we actually had in our tank every day, but we knew it, we saw it coming. And so we had to build in on the back end. like, yeah, I'm gonna collapse. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, take a flight in the time of COVID and go be in a place with my mom where I can rejuvenate. I am gonna make sure, like, we're not booking, you know, any work for the week of Thanksgiving, uh, and that's not natural for us, right? And so we have to, to kind of have that forcing function of like, yeah, okay, it's gonna be a little much. We're gonna hit that that burning point, and so we need to do something different on the other side.
0: Cool.
3: I think one thing just to add here is. And and Tracy's just such a phenomenal coach. I have to give her credit for this because this is the work that she was helping me do when when that was our dynamic. But we want catalysts to live their best, fullest lives, sort of full stop. And it's all of those things that Tracy was just saying. It's like, you know, purpose, your purpose may be your family right now. And that may be the thing that you're focusing on. So while Catalyst will lean into us because we can help them create change more effectively, our 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 goal or our hope is that they're, yeah, leading that, the life that they really want to live, live with intentionality.
2: Love that so much.
0: Yeah. And, and Shannon, you may have just sort of answered my, my next question, which was just around if there was one thing that you would want a reader to take away when they read and interpret your book, what would it be?
3: Mine is related to that, but it's very specific and it it is a good segue. Mine is self-compassion. We don't know exactly what makes a catalyst from the sort of precipitation. Is it born? Is it raised? Is it whatever? But what we do know from the data lived experience and witnessing people is that because we are constantly living in service of creating everything better around us, including ourselves, we can be incredibly critical of ourselves. And we get a lot of critical feedback because we are that lightning rod for change wherever we go. And so the narrative that we often internalize, again, like whether it starts that way for whatever family dynamic reason or whatever you don't know, um, and it's hard work. It's really hard work. And by definition, we are almost always doing something that no one has done before. So things like imposter syndrome can be really loud or we can hold ourselves accountable to these goals that A, will blow past through without even realizing or giving ourselves credit for having done, or we'll create something that new that people can't even quantify because the systems aren't in place to quantify what we've just created. And so getting to articulate or have other people see our value and articulate our value is really challenging. And so self-compassion is one of the things that I would wish for, Also, I have to say, when we talked about trauma, and we did interview a trauma specialist in the book, sort of the related to burnout and trauma, it is a very real experience in this community. And her antidote was sort of three things. One, if you can leave the job or the environment that is causing you the trauma, do so. But either way, therapy and doing a mindful self-compassion class are really great antidotes to that. And I have done both of them. I've done the MSC class twice, and it's an incredible gift for catalysts. And we recommend it all the time to other catalysts.
0: That's very, very cool. Thank you. Tracy, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Is there anything else that jumps out?
1: The number one thing for me, people to take away is uh, you're not alone. It's, uh, I get a little emotional even saying it. It's, it's such a, a frequent email we get or when folks show up in the the community and kind of join us online they talk about Mm. i felt weird for so long i've had to hold back my natural tendencies for so long i've wondered if i'm broken i've wondered if i'm crazy (laughs) uh Mm. you're not you're perfect and there's a group of people who totally get you and can help you be your best self
0: very important and a super important message at a time like right now where a lot of people i know are feeling completely alone for a variety of reasons but I think that feeling of loneliness in our world is probably my guess is at an all-time high so cool well said
2: yep we have some questions that we ask all of our guests and our first question is really around fun and fun can mean different things to different people so we wanted to know what is the most fun that you've had in your career so far
3: hands down for me this is Just as a note, fun is one of our core values for the company. So we intentionally try and have fun all the time. Tracy is the freaking best business partner, co-conspirator, best friend, all the things. And for me, the fun is too... Us getting to live out these values and we're actually like we are always visioning actioning and iterating on like how to do this better for ourselves but also just the incredible fun of watching getting those emails and watching these people just blossom and own their power and then create 10x 100x positive change in the world
0: it's so fun that's awesome that sounds fun
3: and for me it's the
1: same it's right now. I love having a partner. Shannon makes me better every single day. I love the co-creation. I love having a catalyst as a partner that any crazy idea either of us has, we're ready to catch it. You know, I'm so used to people kind of hearing my ideas and being like, oh, that seems... That seems like maybe it's not relevant right now. Like that's never what we say. We'll be like, oh yeah, when can we do that? Where does that get slotted in? And for me, there's also a sense of really living aligned to my purpose in a way that has never existed before. So fun is even a small word for how good it feels right now, honestly.
2: That's amazing.
1: It is, truly.
2: The second question that we ask is around risk because there is always risk involved in our careers at some point. So what is the biggest risk that you've taken in your career and how did it turn out? This was a funny question for me to contemplate
3: because unsurprisingly, well, I just have to say what we haven't talked about is there's a range of catalyticness and I am pretty much off the charts on the hyper catalytic end. So uh, like I went to university at 17 in Paris. I came home and I moved across country. I switched from art history to a technology career with I don't know how Um, I left a job as a blue badge at Microsoft to go to this crazy little startup. Um, I started up my own company and I went back to the corporate world. So like, and it's, this is endemic of a lot of catalysts is we will move in and out of all of the different sort of modalities of work to pursue whatever it is that we need to pursue right then. So, and it doesn't feel that risky to us because we're like, this is the thing I need to go do right now. But I want to give you a more meaningful answer than that. So I will say the 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 one time was I had at this point when I was at Vodafone, I had probably a solid 10 plus years in doing technical sales. I was working on my sustainable MBA. I had this vision of where I wanted to go, which is to be a chief sustainability officer. I was working on a green MBA and the role of innovation came up. And the boss, when he hired me said, this job will probably only last two years and I can't guarantee where it's going to go or what happens after this. I mean, there weren't a ton of innovation jobs back then. And it was like a right fork off of where I had been headed. Um, So I think that was the riskiest, but also like I, I was over the moon for like three weeks when I got the job. There's no doubt in my mind that that was what I wanted to be doing.
1: Amazing. It's so funny, Shan, that, you know, you and I talk about that we live parallel lives. And I, I know all those moments on your history, but I hadn't drawn I hadn't drawn the parallels. So forgive me as I'm having a moment with my business partner aligned with you and Mike Lisa. So I, I left college for a quarter to go be a nanny in Paris. Uh, and then I quit one of my early corporate jobs to go teach English in Japan. And then I was like, I love this so much. So now I'm gonna come back for a bit and then I'm gonna go teach English in Russia. And then I got into a master's degree that I delayed for a year To have a year with my now husband who stayed with me during all that travel. Uh, So it's funny because at those moments they didn't feel risky but I know other people have always described my history as really courageous where I'm just like well it was just it was the obvious choice what are you talking about? So it's just funny Shannon. I haven't really seen our early days so so aligned. So for me, though, by far the riskiest by someone else's perspectives was having quit my corporate job at Microsoft to start consulting. I was in my prime earning years, uh, but I couldn't not do it. And, you know, as fellow coaches, I don't don't know your stories as coaches, but for me, it, it was such a calling that I couldn't ignore it. Uh, and so, as I kind of looked at what the possibilities were, it was also actually less risky to do it then and know I could always go back to Microsoft, then wait 10 years and be like, can I still create a coaching practice at that point? Um, so, you know, I think the risk factor is always someone else evaluating us and kind of hearing what other people say. But how has it turned out? I am, when did I leave? Seven years ago, amazing. And the story's still being written, obviously, as Shannon and I are in this next phase but my family unit works better. I feel happier. I'm helping more people than I did then. Uh, So I never one second have I thought about going back,
2: ever. Well, thank you both for sharing that because I think that it's important not only for people to hear the scary, risky moments from a certain perspective, it's also really good to hear this other perspective that sometimes it doesn't have to feel risky or scary. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And it took me a long time
1: from when I discovered coaching to actually leaving, right? Like, because I started coach training in 2010 and I didn't leave corporate life till 2013. So, to people looking at my career, it felt like such a crazy, drastic thing. But it took me three years while I was sitting in it and felt like I'd found a calling before I made that choice. So, I was planful, I was intentional even then. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Cool. It's very neat that the two of you have this incredible perspective of really just sort of having a, what sounds like a very limitless approach to life. It's true. I think we need more of that in our world.
1: Uh, Here, here.
0: Cool. Can you please share with our dear listener, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received?
3: I have to share two, um, but I'll keep them brief. One was um, my friend Kurt Parent at Microsoft. I was thinking about going Blue Badge. And there was this position open and it didn't really occur to me to apply because i didn't have every single qualification on the resume I and mean, it's such a typical cheryl sandberg story right um and he just sat me down and was like a nobody has this and b you're totally qualified and that changed so much for me and the other one was at that pivotal moment that I picked about risk where I was leaning into the innovation team because the thing that was the most risky for me actually was that I was giving up on this thing that felt like a really clear dream like Tracy was talking about like it was so clear and living her purpose. But actually for me it was the pivot in between where I was and where I thought I was headed that was this whole new sort of factor that came out of nowhere. And my mentor then, Walter Koch, who was the COO of Vodafone at the time, Vodafone Global Enterprise was my mentor. And he said, don't think about the title. He was like, think about the work that you love to do and really look deeply at that. And that, like, I don't know why nobody had said that to me before, but like the sustainability thing was a lot about compliance and reporting and like, (laughs) and innovation was about trying new stuff and activating people and doing all the wicked cool stuff. And I was like, yes, that's very clear.
0: That is, that is super insightful and two pieces of advice that I'm sure a lot of people could apply. Thanks for sharing that, Shannon.
1: So also going into my Microsoft days, this is from uh, an early manager at Microsoft, Kent Sullivan. Shout out to Kent. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And it was very important for me there, starting in a culture that moves very quickly. And it's incredibly important for catalysts more generally. And so something Shannon and I talk about in the book is the need to have that vision and constantly be checking toward that. Because if you can remember that you're moving towards something that's on a long-term horizon, sometimes it can help us with those hard choices as we move toward burnout in the moment when it feels so critical to fit in one more hour, to give up one more night of sleep, to cancel on our friends one more time. So if you can remember like it's a marathon and today I need to do something to fill up the gas tank, it's a game changer.
0: Also appreciate that perspective. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. It's been a real pleasure having this conversation with both of you. Can you tell our listeners um, right now, where should they go to find out more about you and or the amazing book you guys have created?
3: So you can find an overview of everything at our website, catalystconstellations.com. And if you're interested in joining in our global online network with all of the other catalysts, that is at galaxy.catalystconstellations.com. And we'd love to see you there.
0: Cool. It's been amazing. Thank you so much again for your time.
1: Thank you both. Thanks this for having a joy. Us. Yeah. I, I have Questions. a question. I have a question though. Fire away. Are you catalysts?:
0: I see a lot of myself in what you've talked about today. There's no question, and I while going through and listening, I'm wondering where else um, people in the world that I interact with might be also in sort of the catalyst space. And so you've definitely started something, a conversation inside my brain those are always the most scary, uh, <laughs> but it will keep me going, and I think that there's something there for me.
2: Yeah, Lisa. Um, I, I don't, it's funny because I can identify other people that I know who are catalysts, but I'm not convinced that I am at this moment.
1: And that's okay. That's okay. But it's so fun to, to know what fits for you. And it's a discussion we didn't have right in that question around it. Uh, And it's been interesting for me learning who the book is useful for that don't necessarily identify as catalysts. Mm-hmm. Right. We're about to do a workshop with a leader who is a catalyst and says, oh, my gosh, I need my team to understand me better. And I need to understand how they're perceiving me because I think I'm driving them crazy. Right. And so as a leader, that's a catalyst and having their team understand them or as a leader that has catalysts on the team. It's, it's just interesting. Like what you know, who is it among us and how do we need to think about this in our in our midst?
2: I can't wait I can't wait to read the book honestly like I'm so excited I think it's gonna be so incredible
1: thank you appreciate it it's been a joy thank you Thank
2: thank you so much
0: appreciate it we'll call it a week at that thank you so much for joining us this week on the career builders podcast I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain our guests Tracy Lovejoy and Shannon Lucas check out move fast break shit and burn out it's available now We hope you're well, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now.